to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Thanks, y'all. Well, again, welcome to Roswell Presbyterian Church. So good to be in worship with you. A special thank you to Dan Christ for finishing up our Fruit of the Spirit Sermon Series. did a fantastic job. And today we're kicking off our season of generosity. We do this every year. We take about four or five weeks. And we ask and ask people to discern prayerfully what God is asking them to financially commit to in the next year. So this year be in 2024. Uh, we ask people to do that so the leadership of the church can figure out how God is calling us to serve in ministry. This helps put on the lights, help pay the staff. All of those things that makes uh, RPC what it is. And so we want you to be a part of it. So we ask you to prayerfully discern. You can go on the church website at roswellpress.org forward slash give to make a commitment. We ask you to give a gift to the operating budget, which helps all the, the stuff internal to the church happen. And then above and beyond that, give a mission gift that goes out the door to our mission partners to make a difference here at RPC and Roswell, North Metro, and really around the world. To that end, today we're going to look at the opening chapter of the book of Nehemiah. I've never preached on Nehemiah, so I'm really looking forward to this. I'm learning a lot already about that time, about that place. Nehemiah is in exile in Persia. He's a cupbearer to the king. And messengers come from Jerusalem to him. They're going to talk to him about the temple, the state of the city wall. So we're going to ask, what does Nehemiah's story have to do with us, how God is working today in our lives, in our community? So let's open our hearts, our minds, and our ears for the word of the Lord. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, while I was in Susa, the capital. One of my brothers, Hanani, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them about the Jews that survived, those who had escaped the captivity, and about Jerusalem. They replied, the survivors there in the province who escaped captivity are in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept. And mourned for days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayers of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel, confessing the sins of the people of Israel which we have sinned against you. Both I and my family have sinned. We have offended you deeply, failing to keep the commandments, the statutes, and the ordinances that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses. If you are an unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are under the farthest skies, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place at which I have chosen to establish my name. 
They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. At the time, I was the cupbearer of the king. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask that in the next few moments, you might be our teacher, that you might speak a word to our hearts that only you can speak. Lord, that this story wouldn't be trapped in the basement of an ancient past. But Lord, by your spirit, it might spring to life and speak to who we are as individuals, as a community, that it might inspire us to respond. Now may the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Abraham Maslow, the great American psychologist who developed Maslow's hierarchy of needs, dedicated his life to studying human wellness. And he once observed, the only happy people I know are those who are working well at something they think is important. Let me say that again. The only happy people I know are those who are working well at something they think is important. Are you happy? Are you working well? Are you working at something important? Over the next four weeks, I'm going to invite you to step into happiness by working for something that is important. The mission here at Roswell Presbyterian Church. We've been called to serve in special ways here. And I've chosen the book of Nehemiah to help us discern how God is calling us to serve. 150 years before Nehemiah's time, the Babylonians laid waste to Jerusalem. The forces of Nebuchadnezzar II, the king of Babylonia, had invaded the small kingdom of Judah. They wiped it off the map leaving no stone unturned. They deported large numbers of its population. They destroyed its holy temple, leveled the city walls. Jerusalem had been reduced to rubble. And here is Nehemiah, living in a far and distant land. He's in exile, but yet he's working in the king's court. He's got a good job. He's never been to Jerusalem. It's far away. He's comfortable where he's at. Then visitors come to visit, and he begins to get curious. He asks a question that will not just change his life, but will, and I dare I say, change the course of human history. He asks, how is it with Jerusalem? It's a seemingly innocuous question. How is it with Jerusalem? You know, a little curiosity, a little wondering, a a simple question can change the course of your life. Who is that woman standing over there? She's going to be your wife. What's that house? Oh, you're going to raise your kids there. Oh, what's that job I'm unfamiliar with? Oh, that's your life's work. How is it 
with Jerusalem. Nehemiah asks this seemingly innocuous, simple, wondering, curious question, and Jerusalem will become his life's work. God has chosen you, Nehemiah, for a great purpose. You may think you're just a measly cupbearer of the king, but God's got plans for you. God's chosen you. God says the same thing to each of us that God says to Nehemiah. I want you. I want you. God wants us to partner in the building, not just of the walls of Jerusalem, but in the kingdom of God on earth. God wants you to join in the effort, to join in ministry. I think there are four lessons we can take from this great call that Nehemiah responds to about finding happiness, working well at something that's important. The first is, and the first thing we have to know about working well at something is to know it's going to cost us something. It's going to cost us something. Nehemiah was the cupbearer in the court of the king of Persia. This meant he had some key responsibilities. First, he was like the king's sommelier. He'd go down, pick out a nice bottle of wine that fit the occasion for the night, bring it up. Second, he would always taste the wine before the king did. He wanted to make sure the king wasn't poisoned. And the third role, a lot of people don't know this, he was supposed to be a friend to the king. It's lonely often being in a place of leadership like that. So he was a friend to the king. Nehemiah had risen to a level of importance. He'd gained some affluence and influence. And now God says to him, I want you. And saying yes to God means Nehemiah is going to have to say no to some other things. Saying yes to the work of God is going to cost him something. I remember this reality really hit home to me. I was in college, and up until that point, I'd built my resume to basically fulfill my life's goal, to make a lot of money. I, I was a business major, worked at the Boeing Company. I'd been the director of the finance and budget at the Associated Students at the University of Washington, the University of Washington Huskies, go dogs. You didn't know there were other dogs, did you? <laughs> then I went to work for Bellevue Healthcare, which was one of the fastest 50 growing companies in the state of Washington. I had applied to seminary graduate school, but deferred twice for two years. And finally, they sent me a letter. They said, you've either got to come now or you're going to have to reapply. I said, okay, I'll come. So I turned in my letter of resignation to my boss, the owner of the company, I had a date on it. He said, I'm, I'm going to grad school. I go to a seminary. This is, this is what I'm called to. He says, are you sure you want to leave the company? Look what's happening here. I said, no, I'm called to it. So my last day came, and that night, he took me out for dinner. Now, remember, this guy, Peter, he had purchased my I ain't Boeing, if it ain't Boeing, I ain't going t-shirt for $1,000. So this was a nice dinner. And at the end of dinner, he pulls out a check. He pushes it across the table to me. It's made out to me. And in the amount box, it said $10,000. He says, Jeff, this check is yours. If you don't go to seminary, you stay here working with me. 
Oh! Well, you know what I said because I'm here before you. <laughs> Beginning God's work is going to cost you something. Saying yes to one thing means you're going to have to say no to some others. This is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls the cost of discipleship. Joining God's work will cost you something. But that's okay because of lesson number two. The cost is worth it. It's worth it. Remember, Maslow says, the only happy people I know are those who are working well at something they think is important. It's work. If they could have gotten somebody to do it for free, they would have. It's hard. It's a challenge. But it's work because it's important work. I'm sure Nehemiah's resignation was inconvenient. I bet when he came home to tell his wife and kids, they weren't really thrilled about going to the decimated place that Jerusalem was at the time. They said, I've been given a call. I've got a vision. I'm on a mission to do important work. I've been following this Sam Bankman-Fried trial about the fall of his cryptocurrency exchange, FTX. I've gone down some rabbit trails I never thought I would go down. But I've just been curious, like trying to figure out how could you vaporize so much money in such a short amount of time? And one explanation I found, and I found it very interesting, is that Sam is a self-avowed, effective altruist which is a way of being a strict utilitarian. Utilitarian is someone who has an ethical framework that you're trying, you make a decision to maximize the amount of happiness to the most people. And so he, Sam, claimed he wanted to make as much money as he could so he could give it away to solve the world's problems. Now, I'm not utilitarian, obviously, and maybe on Tuesday in our podcast I'll cover about why, but, but Sam is. And he was willing to take incredible amounts of risk because he believed in the possibility of gaining an infinite amount of money. And that's the kind of money you would need to solve the world's problems. So he had this framework about how he could make infinite amount of money. Here it is. Take, for instance, I'm flipping a coin. If it lands on heads, you've got a 51% of it. 51% chance it'll land on heads, and you've got a 49% chance it'll land on tails. Now let's say if it lands on heads, you will create a second earth. That's what you win. But if it lands on tails, the earth you live on will be destroyed into non-existence. Do you flip with that which you can win, but then your risk? If you won the first flip, would you flip it again if you knew it was double or nothing? Now, most people are the kind of people they would flip once or twice and then they would stop flipping. But Sam isn't like us. He would be willing to flip the coin because he thinks the risk is worth it in gaining an infinite amount of money. This is one reason that Michael Lewis called his book about SBF, Going Infinite. To Sam's mind, which is a strict, strictly logical one, he would risk anything to gain infinite winnings. Why? Because anything times infinity is infinity. This is part of what's called St. Petersburg's paradox. Now, today, SBF is acutely aware of the downside of taking that bet. 
And here's one of the problems of his way of thinking. There's no such thing as infinity in the natural world. This is why Michael Lewis in his book, he begins with an epigraph from a German mathematician who makes the observation that you can never find infinity in nature. And Christians, we know this well. Why? Because the only infinite, the only eternal thing or being in the world is God. But yet human beings again and again tend to invest eternal, infinite worth in finite things, in finite creations. We call that idolatry. There is only one thing that we should risk our lives for, for an infinite and eternal good, and that's God. If I would have, if I knew SBF, I would have told him, have you ever read Blaise Pascal, brother? Read about Pascal's wager. Pascal says, the only thing worth risking your life on is God, because God is eternal. Yes, you might be wrong, but all you would give up are some finite goods that aren't going to make you happy anyway. Take that infinite, that eternal risk. God invites us to say yes to the ministry we're called to. It's important work. The third point is God has something in store for us that's bigger than we can possibly imagine. A number of years ago, Courtney and I had the opportunity to travel through Italy. And one of our favorite places we went to was the Duomo in Florence, it was our favorite, not just because it's massive and beautiful, but because of the story behind it. They began building it in 1294. It took 600 years to build. When they began building it, they didn't have the technology yet to finish. It's incredible. Then in 1418, the Wool Merchants Guild came together and threw a contest to see if one of their engineers and architects could figure out the technology to build a dome that hadn't been built since antiquity, which is a thousand years before. Ghiberti, Brunelleschi were in a, a matchup to, to balance an egg on a piece of marble. Only Brunelleschi could do it. So he won the contract. He spent the rest of his life figuring out a way to take four million bricks up to the top of this beautiful church, this cathedral, to build that dome. He had to figure out how to get the bricks up there, how to get the people up there, keep them, and keep the dome together in one piece. They had this imagination of what was possible. I just think about those early folks, 600 years at the beginning, going, well, let's, let's build a cathedral. Wait. We don't have the technology yet. Well, we'll figure it out. Let's do this. This is important work. There's a story about the first three bricklayers. The first bricklayer, someone comes up to him and says, what are you doing? He says, I'm laying bricks. Second person comes up, the second bricklayer, and says, what are you doing? He says, I'm building a wall. Another person comes up to the third bricklayer, says, what are you doing? He says, I'm building a cathedral. That's that kind of imagination. God is po what's possible about the future. And the fourth truth it leads to is God wants you to be a part of it. God wants us to join in the effort. In Barcelona, Spain, there's a much different, more modern cathedral, but no less impressive. The La Sagrada Familia. 
High up on top of one of the pillars in the cathedral, there are these intricately detailed mosaics that Gaudi put up there. Problem is, no one can see them. And someone asked Gaudi, who was responsible for this beautiful cathedral, why would you put such fine, ornate, beautiful mosaics where nobody can see them? He says, oh, God sees them. God saw Gaudi in his work. God saw Nehemiah in the work he was called to. God sees us, and God invites us to be a part of it. The ministry that is going to happen here at Roswell Presbyterian Church and that will emanate around the world, who knows how God will use our little bit of effort to do great things. The important thing is to work well at it, to work well at it in the important work because in there and in that mission, in that vocation, we find our happiness. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for this great call on our lives to serve, to give, to be a part of something much bigger and greater than ourselves, something greater than we can imagine, Lord. We pray that we might have the courage, the faith, the hope, and the love to step into it. In your name we pray. Amen. been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.